Welcome to the Caring for EOE podcast, where we'll navigate eosinophilic esophagitis together. From diagnosis to daily living, feelings to finances, and restrictions to recipes, let's create a community that cares for EOE. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Caring for EOE podcast. I'm joined today by Lori, whose 14-year-old son was recently diagnosed with EOE about a year ago. Lori, thanks so much for reaching out, and I'm really grateful to have this time together. Well, thank you for having me. Well, I would actually love to start by hearing, first and foremost, how is your son doing? We are in a really good place right now. Um, He is um, on Neocate, Splash, and um, Potatoes, which has been great for him because he hasn't been able to have food for a while, and so he is happy and uh, integrating with his friends again at school, which has made him a happy camper. Uh, Well, I am thrilled to hear that because just having talked with you before, that hasn't always been the story. And there's so much about his journey and your journey that we'll talk about. Um, It's just really nice to know that it, it, there are bright spots in the journey as well. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So, um, so your son is 14 and he was somewhat recently diagnosed. um, You mentioned about a year ago, but you've also shared that you think he's been contending with some of the symptoms of EOE for a lot longer than that. What's it been like, and what has your journey been on the way to this diagnosis? Yeah, so he started off very young with a lot of eating trouble. He um, he was born a, a typical six-pound, four-ounce baby boy, but he lost more than 10% of his weight after birth, which was concerning, and we just had a hard time keeping things in him. And then pretty quickly, I can't remember exactly how old he was, but I want to say by maybe three to six months old, he started with some severe projectile vomiting. And um, he would get sick from that a lot. He would get bronchiolitis. He would get pneumonia. Um, He had these tonsils that touched in the middle and so they were suspecting that when he vomited he would then aspirate the vomit because it couldn't exit fast enough and so that was our main contention when he was really young was he was he got underweight he was under the first percentile for his weight um he struggled to keep things down he got the bronchiolitis and pneumonia all the time we would do antibiotics for you know, a 10-day course, and then he'd have a day or two where he was okay, and then he'd vomit again, and we'd go right back on the antibiotics. And we did that for years. Um, The transition from baby food to adult food was just another time I remember being really traumatic for him. He just didn't want to swallow, and he would pocket all the food in his cheeks, And at the time, we thought it was these great big tonsils that he had, and we were pushing um, an ENT to try to take him out, and they didn't want to do that. They felt he was too young. So we would sit with him for two to three hours at mealtime to get him to eat because he just would not eat. Um, But about age five, he finally got his tonsils out, And that helped a lot. Um, We had been, in the meantime, to probably three ENTs. We had been to immune system specialists, allergists, multiple pediatricians. 
a lot of people I feel like should have been able to at least think that this might be a possibility as a diagnosis. Um, but I think maybe this was back in 2005, so maybe it wasn't well known enough that that was just never even brought to our attention. Mm. Um, but we thought from a pretty young age that he had some food allergy stuff. We had him tested probably around 12 to 18 months old, and it was all negative. Um, but even the allergist felt like something was going on. She had him on Prevacid, and... Um, and she wanted us to do some trials where we eliminated foods and restarted them. Um, and we had done that, but of course he was in daycare at the time and that, uh, got a little dicey because the daycare teacher thought we were starving him because he was so thin, but it was, we were really just trying to avoid certain foods and the right. foods we were giving him were really heavy in calories. But, um, there was some sabotage going on at the daycare. Um, and, their intentions were good, but sure. I don't think they understood. And so I don't feel like we ever got to the bottom of those pieces. Um, wow. But yeah, he got his tonsils out at age five. We started doing some sneaky chef diet stuff where there's some cookbooks out there that teach you how to puree fruits and vegetables and sneak them into bready things because I think the bready things were soft to him. And so mm. those were what he wanted to eat. He would not eat any protein except for scrambled eggs, um, and he wouldn't eat any vegetables that had any substance to them, you know, only if it was really soft, like baby food kind of soft. Right. Um, but he did eventually get diagnosed with allergies, just not food allergies, and I do think all that stuff is linked together. Um, we've certainly seen um, he tends to get more anxiety around times when allergies are bad, and um, and now we've just come to the age of 14 where he's been healthy seasonal allergy wise for a number of years. He hasn't needed any medication, but he has spent time at his grandparents' house and, um, in our house, we eat a paleo diet. I started a paleo diet in 2012 for my own health. And he was eating mostly, but not fully paleo, but then he'd go to grandma's and come home with diarrhea. Mm -hmm. And that happened enough times in a short period of time where we felt like, you know, we really got to revisit this again because something's um, not right. And he just, at age 14, he's still pretty short for his age. He's very thin for his age. And so um, October of last year, about 14 months ago, we started that investigation, and I had wondered about celiac. Um, he used to get these pizza coupons from school to get free pizza if he read, and he would always get sick when he had those pizzas, which broke his heart because he loves pizza, but he oh, just couldn't eat them anymore. Right. So we went to visit the gastroenterologist for the first time, and um, he also suspected celiac. And so we did a six- or eight-week trial of eating gluten, and I was surprised he actually did fairly well during that time. And then he got scoped, and it came back as eosinophilic esophagitis, which wow. I had never even heard of before. It was all new. Right. So that's kind of, that's a long, that's a long history. <laughs> Sorry, well, oh my gosh. Well, and well, it's an incredible to think about the different stops along the way. And like you said, 
in, in 2004, they, this EOE diagnosis was not known. And so I can only imagine the amount of advocating that you were having to do. And uh, you talked about all the different specialists and having to go from one to the other and serve as the go-between. And that had to have been really yeah. hard. It was a challenge. And, and I felt like doctors were frustrated because I think most of them felt like something was going on too, but they weren't getting to the bottom of it. And everybody wanted his tonsils out except for the ENTs until age five when, when finally an ENT was like, oh, yeah, this is a no-brainer. We'll take those out. And I was like, yeah. oh, I wish we had found you like three years ago. And so what was the difference? You just had a different perspective or, you know? You know, I think it was just um, pursuing and keeping uh, – we kept going with, with going to more doctors because he just wasn't healthy. Yeah. And I think the allergist helped us a lot because – she actually got a plan in place. We had been very reactive for a long time. So he would vomit, he would get pneumonia or bronchiolitis, we'd go on antibiotics, and we just kept repeating that cycle. She got us started on a plan where she's like, well, you know, if he vomits at 24 hours later, he's going to be sick. So as soon as he vomits, you know, we're going to start him on inhalers and all these other things. And so we had a repertoire of stuff at home that made it so things weren't a life-threatening emergency all the time. You know, he wasn't getting blue and and all those things. His oxygen level was better um, when we had those tools at home. And so that was a blessing. But I think it was just keep going, keep going, keep going. And really from age five until last year, we hadn't kept going because he was doing better. And I think a lot of these things were hidden when the tonsils did come out. He was more willing to eat, although he still, you know, dinners went from two or three hours to maybe an hour. Mm. Um, But there was still stuff going on. And he did talk about feeling like stuff was stuck when he would swallow. And I, I blew it off. I, I, I didn't, I didn't realize that that could be an issue that there could be swelling in this esophagus. It was just not something I thought of or was familiar with. Well, and why would you? No doctor was surfacing it, and it was not a conversation that was had 10 to 15 years ago. Just even talking to yeah. the folks who were in different organizations, just how much advocating they've had to do to even get funding for research. Um, so, yeah, it was a very unknown thing not that long ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, in your story of when he was five years old, I have a five-year-old, so she does not have a UE. My two-year-old does, but my five-year-old, like, she's she's pretty picky when it comes to eating in her own right, and that's confusing to me to think about, you know, if you're picky and you have EUE, what do you pay attention to? Um, And you don't know they have EUE, so maybe just chalking it up to a picky toddler. (laughs) Yeah, and that was definitely discussions that we had with family members because, it was hard sitting there and making him eat and like, honey, you can't pocket this in your cheek. You got to swallow it. And, um, and family feeling like we were kind of maybe force feeding him or whatever. But when he was below the first percentile for his, that gets a little scary, you know, and you have to sit down and I don't feel like we ever force fed him, but you know, we definitely set goals and, and we would practice with a certain food. We'd say, okay, we're going to have this one thing and we're going to have it for dinner every night for two weeks until you get to be a pro about swallowing oh, it. Yeah. And that 
that helped. Like he appreciated that. And, and there were foods I used to take videos of him because mm-hmm. he insist he wouldn't like a food after he had tried it a bunch of times. And then we wouldn't have it for a while and he forget that he'd like it. So I took videos of him like eating it and saying that he enjoyed it. So he would remember. What a great idea. Try it next time. I think I need to do that for my five-year-old and just be like, you had chicken nuggets last week. Remember? <laughs> yes. Yes. That's, that's exactly it. Oh like they gosh. forget. Right. For sure. Well, and just hearing your story and how much you have observed and made connections, that what is that like to really need to pay attention at a different level? Yeah, I think... I think it was just something we were fighting all the time and my own health. So I have rheumatoid arthritis and um, it had been pretty bad for a number of years. And my mother-in-law actually introduced me to the paleo diet and I started it and it made a miraculous change in my arthritis. And that really started getting me paying attention to my son and what he was eating and could that be something. And you know, my husband and I both felt for a long time that gluten was probably an issue and um, dairy was probably an issue for him. When we had our scope recently, um, well, when we ha- had the first scope and it came back as EOE, the doctor sent us for food allergy testing. And he came back allergic to, and it was the blood test, not the skin test. He came back allergic to corn, wheat, sesame, soy, shellfish, dairy, tree nuts, and eggs. And interestingly, that's very similar to all the foods I eat. I do have tree nuts, um, and I haven't eliminated shellfish, although it's not something I tend to eat very much of. But other than that, it it was kind of my diet. So I was like, wow, it's interesting that he does seem to do better when he eats this way. So we put him on that diet formally, um, and then did a trial and he got scoped again and he came back mildly, very mildly better that time. Um, but certainly there has, has to be other things he was allergic to because it didn't get all of it. It wasn't all of it. And yeah. so then we eliminated, um, tomatoes, potatoes, um, eggplant, uh, peppers, all those nightshade plants in addition to the other ones because those are some of my triggers as well and did another scope and he actually came out worse, significantly oh. worse. Wow. Which was shocking. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we did a trial after that of ranitidine and okay. then after that he was significantly worse again. So I had taken him in for some uh, just skin allergy testing with the allergist at that point and, you know, just talked about here's where we've been the last year and, you know, just trying to get another opinion. So she repeated the same test that he had from the gastroenterologist, only she did the skin test version instead of the blood test. And he came out allergic to the two things that he was negative for on the other test with the gastroenterologist. Wow. Those two things he showed positive for now. So he he shows allergic to peanuts and fish on the skin test, but negative on the blood test. And those nine or ten things he was allergic to on the blood test, he was negative for on the skin test. 
And what did they make Which of that difference? That. I know that, I mean, you want to have something that, that gives you the data that you need to move forward. And when the data is refuted by a second test, now, now what do you do? Right. And I asked that same question to the allergist and, and she said, well, the skin tests tend to be more accurate. And I asked another doctor about this information as well, because that didn't really fully answer my question. And his explanation, this was from actually a functional medicine doctor, and he had said that the skin tests um, tend to show things, allergies that you're going to have very overt symptoms, like diarrhea, like um, vomiting, those sorts of things, hives, whatever. But the blood allergy tests tend to show more subtle allergies um, that you might not readily recognize. And oh. so I don't know how true that is, and we're still trying to figure that out. But just peanuts and fish would not account for the symptoms that he's had. Like we haven't had peanut butter in our house for a very long time. Um, and we do have fish occasionally, but not enough for it to be causing this kind right. of inflammation. So we're not clear what that means yet. We're still playing that out. I, that, and it's fascinating because everything I've heard and read, it you can't do an allergy test to, to figure out what's going on with your EOE. So whether it's blood or skin, but then to see such different results on those two ways of testing, there's definitely, um, there's more, it's amazing how much we do know and, and, and quite frankly, how much we don't know about all of this. Yeah, yeah, and our gastroenterologist said, you know, just because it shows up positive on uh, on an allergy test does not mean that that is what's causing the EOE. Right. And so he had kind of prepped us for that ahead of time. Yeah. So, and don't we and wish it could be. be the case? For I know, I know it. Well, I'm fascinated by the paleo diet, and in terms of already what what you needed to take out, you were taking out inherently um, and didn't even realize it. So so what about the diet do you think was most helpful? The paleo diet? Yeah. I, I just, I've talked to different people and different, different things work for others. So for some people going vegan or vegetarian is the way to go. And for others, it's all meat. And, and I know paleo has got a couple of nuances in there too. So I'm, I'm just really fascinated by the effects of, of different diets on, on, on what people are experiencing. So I was curious if you had thought about paleo and what was it about paleo that you think had the best um, results or impact? Well, there's a few things. Because um, I had tried um, the vegan diet before. Um, I had tried um, just trying to avoid processed foods and things like that and not seeing the results that I saw with the paleo diet. I think the the overall thing is it really looks at what we as humans have been eating in history and that we didn't eat the grains and all those things that we eat now in our diet. And really a lot of those foods that we do eat now are um, can cause inflammation. And so the paleo diet is a very low inflammatory diet for the most part. There's different versions of it. There's an autoimmune protocol with it, which is where I started, and now I'm somewhere between the autoimmune pro protocol and the, and the regular paleo. But the biggest thing I noticed is when I really eliminated all those pro-inflammatory foods, it gave me, like, it was about... It was 30 days when I really started thinking, okay, my arthritis is doing better. And then it was three and a half months where I was formally in remission for the first time in about 14 years of RA. Wow. 
and then it gave you kind of a baseline because like then you're feeling well and so you can say okay well let's try adding this food back in and seeing what happens and oh no can't do that you Mm. go back off that one oh let's try this one and so I think having a large elimination and getting to a point where I felt really really good um was the most beneficial thing because then you can start to tinker to see, well, are all these foods really a problem for me or just some of them? Right. And uh, for me, I've got a lot of food triggers. Well, yes, it sounds like it. And, it. and the fact that you're on this too and seeing such results for your own health, it's it like it's likely having such a huge impact on what you're able to do for your son too. And not all families have to yeah, contend with that, so... <laughs> Yeah, that's what we were seeing too. Um, and I never fully had him paleo, but I, I had him for the most part for quite a while. But, you know, he would eat at school, you know, they have cupcakes or, yeah. you know, go to grandma's house or whatever, but, or we'd eat out and we'd let him have a grilled cheese sandwich. But those are the times that we were seeing him get sick. Um, When he had something different at school, when we ate out at a restaurant, um, when he went to somebody else's house and ate something, those are the times where he was getting sick. And um, and now, as he's older, it, it tends to be less vomiting. I mean, he does vomit more than other kids his age, but diarrhea actually seems to be his number one symptom. And mm. we're still investigating that to see if something else is going on besides the EOE. Um, but yeah, definitely, um, his stomach gets pretty upset. Oh, and that is so not easy to contend with for anybody, let alone a 14 year old. They've got enough to worry about and trying to, to, to deal with the world around them. (laughs) Um, yes, exactly. Yeah. So what has it been like for him at 14? He's got friend groups and he's got school and he's trying to learn, I, you know, Tyler is two and I can only imagine, but I'd love to hear more about, you know, what is, what has it really been like for him? It's been rough. Um, there's, there's interesting things. We, we read an article uh, a few months ago on a website called Hormones Matter, and it was written by a doctor from the Cleveland Clinic working with a child who had EOE and a host of other things as well. And my son has a host of other things as well. Um, He tends to have a lot of sensory issues. His clothes bug him. He doesn't like being bumped. Um, He's very hypersensitive to pain. Um, He tends to get sick a lot. He hasn't grown very well. Um, He's just got a, a bunch of things. And this child in this article did as well. And that led us to trying some some B vitamins and such to help him grow and and some success with that. But what we've really realized is he also has anxiety. And he was formally diagnosed with anxiety about two years ago, and he sees a counselor for that, which has been helpful. Um, but his allergies and the anxiety and the EOE, I, I really think they're all kind of one and the same. When we mm. see... When we see him feeling better physically, the anxiety drops. And when we see him not feeling well physically, the anxiety skyrockets. And it's been interesting because his seasonal allergies have been really good for the last number of years. And he's not needed inhalers and he's not needed any kind of medication for that. Um, but the food stuff seems like it's it's ramped up. And... Um, 
we think there's a correlation there. It makes it challenging at at school um, with the anxiety. He has a hard time making friends. And then when we added the EOE into the diagnosis, um, it's really hard for him to eat these strange diets at school. So when he was having to do the paleo diet, we took a lot of um, prep around. We got him like a lunch box that had different compartments. So it looked like, what are those meals that the kids always eat? Um, yeah, lunch, the Lunchables. The Lunchable yeah. meals. Yep. We, we tried to make it look like a Lunchable. So it had a cool factor to it because yeah. that was important to him because he was eating strange things by other kids, you know, Standards, eyes. Yeah, and yeah. he was not comfortable with that. And then as the diet got more and more restrictive and we went on Neo Kate Splash, he didn't want to eat in the cafeteria at all anymore. Oh. And um, that that was hard. Um, and so we had to make arrangements at school and he had a math teacher who kind of took him under her wing and um, he would go and drink his Neo Kate Splash in her math class um, during his lunch period. But now he's back to eating potatoes, and um, he wanted to try to go into the cafeteria two weeks ago when he got his potatoes back. And I said, well, you know, I can make you a mountain of French fries because the doctor said he could have some olive oil and potatoes. Mm. And so he was worried about it. He's like, Mom, people are going to think I'm weird. I'm just eating French fries for lunch. And I said, well, we'll make it so you don't have to take the Neocate. We'll just have the French fries. And I said, just tell everybody on your, you're on a French fry diet. You know, kids are going to think that's pretty cool. Right. <laughs> and so he went off to school that day, and, and we were keeping our fingers crossed, you know. And he came home, and he's like, Mom, I had the best lunch ever. I got to eat with my friends again, and everybody thought it was cool that I was on a French fry diet. Oh, my <laughs> so gosh. Perfect. So every day for lunch for the last two weeks, I make him this big mountain of French fries. That's incredible. <laughs> well, yeah. and you know, and that story literally brought tears to my eyes and I was glad you took another minute because I had to collect myself because the, the emotional part of this and not only that he goes through it, but you as his mom and what, what it must be like for you as you send him off to school knowing what he's about to go through. There's so much with this entire disease that, that I don't know that everyone understands. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Oh my gosh. Well, uh, my heart is soaring hearing how much better he's doing and it, and it breaks also to hear about the times that he has struggled. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're still in the struggle phase. Um, we took a vacation recently, um, and it, it couldn't have been better timed. He, he was going through a lot around the scoping. So we did the six weeks of the Neo Kate splash and then we were going, to get scoped and he wanted that test to come out bad oh. and I was very thankful because he wanted to go back to eating food course, right like that's all what he wants and yeah. what all of us want you know we want that for him too yeah. um, and I had found your podcast right around that time and I was so thankful that I did because I heard the the young lady who would cheat and she'd go to her friend's house and, and have a granola bar. Right. And I thought, oh my gosh, cheating. And so we, we talked to him about that. And he said, yes. He said, if I am left alone with food, I am going to cheat. 
Um, And so we had to hear that and we had to respect that and we had to help him. And so we literally have a camera in our kitchen and we have locks on the refrigerator and we took some food and boxed it up and just, you know, put it up in our bedroom and we lock our bedroom door and um, just helping him do that. You know, and he's appreciating that, and and he'll tell us like you left something out. You left I know, something out. danger. Make that go away. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the level sure. of self awareness um, for him to say, yeah, you know what, I'd, I'm gonna eat it, and that that shows a lot of maturity, and then your willingness to do whatever to support him is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But we went on vacation to Hawaii. Um, right when we got the results that his test came out good. And he was actually devastated that it came out <laughs> good because he wanted oh, it to be bad. Of course. Um, but it just happened that we had a vacation planned right at that time. And we had a condo where we had our own kitchen so we could make our own meals. And we didn't have to eat out and expose him to having to sit there, watch other people eat. And so we got to start our potatoes and that sort of stuff while we were there. And the doctor even said, you know, it's the week of Thanksgiving. If you wanted to have a few little cheap things before we formally start on the potatoes, that that would be okay. Mm. So he got to have a little bit of chocolate and, and some other things. Absolutely. So that was good. Oh, that's amazing. Well, and maybe there'll be some nostalgia for the trip to Hawaii and all the, all the great potato reintroductions. So, um, but yeah, yeah. being just thinking about the, the, the bigger picture and the, with, he's had a number of endoscopies from the story you've shared and with each one, the ups and the downs, like, okay, we're going to try something new and let's see what the results are and being hopeful and then kind of, you know, not getting the, the results you wanted. How, how have you guys coped with the roller coaster ride? Um, it's been hard. He, yeah, we keep trying all these things and we go up and down. And I think the hardest is when they come back worse. And you're yes. thinking, well, what have we, and you just, you just don't know what that means because it does seem like it's food. I mean, I know that there's a certain brand of pizza out there that if I give that to him, he is going to throw it up. Right. And so what, what in what is in there that's doing that to him? And so it's, it is frustrating for him and, and for us. And so he's been seeing, a counselor to help him with that. And luckily we had him seeing a counselor for his anxiety before any of this even began. Um, and so that's been a big help to him. He's got family around him. As far as my husband and I, we, we've been struggling a lot with this too. And I'm sure a lot of families out there, it, it's hard because people don't understand and, and they think you're being weird and torturing him and, mm. and all of these things and really just want him to be healthy and and be able to continue to eat for the rest of his life. But a few weeks ago, my husband and I, we started going to see a counselor together. Um, and just some of the things that were coming out of both of us is we're both really stressed. Yeah. Um, and we're both not taking care of ourselves the way that we need to in order to support him. And that was eye-opening because sometimes you just miss all of that. So um, we've made some agreements with ourselves that um, we're going to pay somebody to come and clean our house. Yay. And that just happened a few days ago. And I got to tell you, that is the best thing ever. I oh, my that. gosh. That's magic. <laughs> but well, he came and cleaned our house before Christmas. Oh. And um we're trying to make some time to exercise. We're trying to make some time to spend together. 
Um, but that gets really dicey, too, because, you know, we want to send him to grandma's house or we want to send him to a friend's house, and you have all those food issues to contend with when you do yeah, that. Absolutely. And um, we still haven't quite figured out that plan yet, um, but it's coming. We're going to figure it out. Oh, because, what a great attitude. Um, he needs a break from us, and we need a break from him yeah. sometimes, too. Absolutely. And with and all the love that goes with that. Of course, of course. And the, 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 the talk nowadays about self-care, I mean, it's amplified when you are contending with everything that you've shared with us. And I'm, I think it's amazing yeah. that you and your husband have said, you know what, that something needs to change and we're, it's going to start with us. Um, and that, I yeah. think, is a real yeah. gift to our listeners, the permission to give ourselves the space that we need and to prioritize ourselves over something like having to clean your own bathroom. Like, let's let's farm that out. <laughs> delegate. Let's yes. delegate in the new year. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that part. I do think that that is a that is something that goes unnoticed is the caretakers in all of this and having a conversation about what to do for for ourselves and each other too. So I think that's that's worthwhile to continue to remind us. And I'd love to circle back. And as you say, you're still figuring it out. So any tips and tricks that you come up with, I'm sure that we could benefit. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Well, my goodness. So... So there's so much more that we can cover. You know, some of the questions I have um, are things like at school, you know, what what sort of accommodations have you put in place? Have you done 504 plans or, or what's that like for you to help others help him? Yeah, so um, we do have a 504 plan in place for him. Um, that actually started with his anxiety a couple years ago and... Um, how he was really isolating himself from other kids and, and how we needed to work on that. And so we have that in place. And then last year when we renewed it, we added the EOE components in there just to help make people aware that he does have these food challenges and that we're trying to figure them out. Um, last week, or just, just a few days ago even, um, we've been in contact with the nurse at his school, and she's going to help. Um, develop a health care plan for him. We're not exactly sure what that's going to entail yet because we know what he can have right now. You know, in a few weeks, he'll be having some more. So right. um, we don't know how that's going to play out long term. But um, I've found it very helpful to just email his teachers when something has changed just so they are aware of the change and can help him uh, be compliant. You know, I know kids bring in cupcakes and donuts and all sorts of stuff for birthday parties, and he's going to have to learn to say no to those things, and that's hard. Right. Um, and it's not like I can just send in like a gluten free snack. I can right now send in Neo Kate or French fries. Right. <laughs> like, there's not, not a lot I can do there. So um, I think just having people aware and um, all all looking out for him because I think it's you know, he misses school, he goes, he gets a scope, and usually the day after, he's in a bit of pain, and he just doesn't feel like going, and he doesn't feel like talking. Right. And so um, just having them aware of those pieces and helping him get his work made up when he comes back to school. And then the week of, um, we had his most recent scope on a Monday, and we were going to get the biopsy results on Friday. 
And that was the longest week for all of us. He was on such edge because he just wanted that test to come out badly. Mm. And he was in a really bad place. He went to school just one day that week um, and the rest, he he was just home. Um, And, you know, he was saying he was sick and he wasn't feeling well. But I think it was just the stress of waiting for that test result and and honoring that. It's hard to let him miss that much school. And we're really good at, at, you know, contacting the teachers and trying to keep him up to date. And, you know, everything's online now, so you can check his grades right away and helping him keep up. But you do have to just acknowledge we're asking you to do the impossible here. I mean, we're asking you to go out and not eat any food. And that's that's a really hard place to be. And just making sure people are appreciating the the difficult challenge that that is for him right now. Yes, and it's it, it would be challenging for for anyone, and yet I don't know that people have needed to actually put themselves there mentally or otherwise. And so the amount of empathy right. that we we would love to ask others to have, I mean, the food and food and celebrations. I mean, it just gives it. Oh, my anxiety goes up thinking about it. And Tyler's not even there yet. Yeah. Um. You know. And, yeah. And, and you've talked twice about the mind-body connection, and it's so true. You know, when his, when his body feels good, his anxiety's better. And then in this case, when on his mind was the test results, it kind of made the rest of his body not feel good. And he's just contending with so much. Yeah, he is. He is. <sighs> um, but, you know, I think taking that family vacation was... Uh, and honestly, we were taking that vacation for a different reason. Yeah. Um, but the timing just worked so perfect that right after that really anxiety producing week, we hopped on a plane and went somewhere else and just left everything behind um, as much as possible and just went and had fun. And I think that's important too, is just taking the time to have some fun. Um, He had a birthday party while he was on just Neo Kate Splash and and he didn't want to have a party party because he's like, Mom, I can't have cake. We can't have lunch. We can't have right. So we just went. We have a, a place here uh, nearby that just has arcade games and laser tag and a climbing structure and all this stuff. And so just pick a friend or two, and we'll just go there. And we'll have – they can have lunch before we go. We'll go after lunchtime. We'll go. We'll have fun, and we'll come home before dinner. And so that's what we did. And oh, that wound up being okay. I so. bet it was a blast, you know, and some of it yeah. is, is just the tradition of it. Like, I'm not even sure that kids care that much about sitting and eating sometimes. <laughs> They'd much rather yes, go and exactly. climb on structures and play video games. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. Well, and, and hearing the way that you talk about all the, the stops, you're very positive and optimistic and that has got to be an incredible blessing for him too. Um, so I was curious if, um, if you would talk a little bit about, you know, what are some of the things that you might be optimistic about, even though there's probably a lot that you're also a bit concerned about? Well, for the last year, we've just grown more and more concerned because we keep doing all these scopes and, um, and just getting mostly worsening results yeah. rather than better results. And, um, you know, I'm optimistic now because finally we have a, a, a point to start. And that's one thing. And, and I hope at some point in one of your future podcasts, this question gets answered because it's a question I have. I don't know what what people's eosinophil counts are coming back as. I mm. I know my son has had 
um, the bottom of his esophagus tends to be the worst, and he sits around 70 to 100. And at the top, it's generally better. It's been anywhere from um, 6 to 40. Um, and I don't know what that looks like for other people, but currently he's 10 at the top, 10 in the middle, and 20 at the bottom, which is by far the best result we've had. Yeah. But one thing that I did learn from the allergist when I took him for recent testing is that it's not just food allergies that can cause this inflammation of the esophagus. It can be environmental things as well. And she said there's not really a lot of good evidence out there about it yet. Um, And so they're still figuring that out. She did repeat a lot of his environmental allergy tests. Um, And it's interesting because he used to just be allergic to outdoor things, but he's gained some allergies Uh, In fourth grade, he actually went into anaphylactic shock um, following uh, an exposure to a cat. Oh, wow. He had never been allergic to cats before, and we went to somebody's house for dinner, and he was petting their cat, and we're coming home in the car, and his eyes swelled shut, and his breathing got bad, and we ran out to urgent care, and yeah, he was in full-blown anaphylactic shock. Wow. And it took three months to get his breathing back to normal. And so we repeated his um, allergy testing then and found out he's now very allergic to cats. And that was new. He's also moderately allergic to dogs now. And we have a dog. We had a dog um, before we knew he had an allergy. The last test we had had said he was not allergic to dogs. So we didn't think that was a dangerous thing for him. Um, he loves the dog. He is in you know, they are buddies, they sleep in the same bed. And so our next point, if this most recent scope didn't come out well, was going to be really looking at some of those environmental allergy pieces. And he doesn't show symptoms. He he doesn't have the sneezing or the wheezing or any of that sort of stuff. Um, but we thought, well, maybe that's just morphed. Maybe Maybe it's not showing in a classic allergy way, and maybe that's what's causing the EOE. So if this last scope hadn't come out so well, we were going to look at um, having our dog go stay with uh, some relatives for a couple months and um, just really making the environment uh, much different and um, really paying attention to his environmental pieces. Um, The one thing that came back almost scary is with the, the allergy testing he had on the skin, you know, they they have welts and they measure the welts um, on the skin to determine how allergic they are to something. Mm -hmm. And the cat welt is pretty big, but his grass one was probably 50 times bigger. Wow. And how do you, in the summertime, um, avoid grass? I don't don't know. And so if that is a trigger, and I kind of wonder, looking back on the scopes we've done, is if, if, the environmental piece is a trigger. You know, we had this most recent scope in December. Um, well, actually, it's at the very end of November. Um, you know, all the environmental stuff at this time of year is is dead where we live. And so um, is that something that might crop up in the spring when, you know, stuff starts to bloom again? And could that be a trigger in addition to the possibly some food allergies? So there might be some combinations of things we have to look at, mm-hmm. but we're, we don't know yet. 
Yeah. I don't know. I think you're well served in thinking in this way. So in November, I had a chance to go to the Cured um, Patient Research um, Conference, and the conversation mm-hmm. around environmental allergies kept coming up. And so I asked a few people, and um, the something in my mind for Tyler is that his vomiting would be cyclical, and sometimes it, we could tie it to food and not. And someone had said to me, "Well, because it, it was like it seemed like every six weeks, so he would he would have a ton of vomiting for six weeks, and then it would calm down for six weeks, and it would come back for six weeks. And I don't know where that why that number you know kept coming up. And they said, "Well, look at the times when it was up. What times a year? And sure enough, it was September and October." but not during November and December. And then it came back in March and April. And so we did have him scratch tested for allergens, um, for environmental allergens. And he came back, he did not come back with any, but I don't think that I've ruled that out completely either. Um, And so, yeah, I think you're, yeah, I think there's enough out there where people are looking at the combination. And so it's, it's fascinating that you say, if you look back on the scopes you had, could, could they have been worsened by, to, to your point, food was definitely still a factor, I would imagine. Uh, could they have been worsened by whatever was going on, in, you know, in, seasonally, if that makes sense? Yeah, it, it does. And one of the things that we know about my son, when, when he has historically been sick his whole young life, especially, he was on a ton of medications. And he's had some pretty major reactions to medications um and i think sometimes the vomiting and and the diarrhea that he's had has been been actually caused by some of the medications that he's had to take over the years not agreeing with his system too and so as much as possible for him um we're trying to avoid being on medication we we did try ranitidine and when he was really young he was on prevacid but, um, you know, if, if we're not able to tease apart the environmental pieces and the food pieces, then the doctor's next step is probably a proton pump inhibitor. And both of my husband and I have concerns about that just because we've seen him have some very bad reactions to medications in the past. Um, so we're just trying to, if we can figure it out, that I, I think ultimately that's going to serve him best in the long run. And then if he gets older and, and, you know, wants to make a different decision, then that will be up to him. But I at least want him to have options if we can help him find them, you know? Yes, absolutely. And medications, you know, they, they bring with it a whole host of other things to worry about, if especially if they're not, you know, natural by nature. So, um, yeah. yeah, the... I like how you're saying that right now we're going to make the decisions based on what we know and and how to help him, and then eventually he's going to make them for himself too. So you've really done a lot to arm him with information and um, insights about himself too, you know, pay attention to how you feel. So he's really, um, you're setting him up for for much more success and being able to do that. Yeah. So we've managed to talk about a lot, which has been amazing, everything from you know, childhood all the way up through his recent diagnosis and the ups and downs of the the various things that you've tried and the scopes, the support um, from the schools and just the, the mental and emotional toll that comes with all of this. Is there anything else you were hoping that we'd cover today or that you wanted to go deeper on? 
I don't think so, but I just really do want to take the time to thank you for doing this because I actually had looked for EOE podcasts, and I think I must have looked um, before you started yours, Mm -hmm. and I was so glad I went back and uh, looked again and found you because I really, um, it has helped a lot going into our last scope. Um, I really thought, it, it never occurred to me that we would continue on this neocate past this trial. I had in my head, well, if if the scope came out good, then we'd go for more testing, not that we would continue in, and do food reintroduction. And I learned that from your podcast. And so thank you for doing that because that just prepped us better to help him going into all of that, um, that this might be the outcome. Oh, <laughs> so, well, um, that's... I think that's kind of you to say, and it's through everybody willing to share their stories that we're all benefiting. And your story has so much that I know people will relate to. And I thank you for being so open and willing to share. And um, I know I know for a fact that people are really going to be inspired by your story. Well, thank you. Thank you for taking the time. Oh, I really absolutely. appreciate it. Well, we're, we're nearing the holidays and, of course, the new year. So I wish you wonderful, um, some downtime, hopefully, and not too many food-related celebrations. I know that that's what we're trying to figure out is how to have fun without it being too focused on food. Um, and then a happy and bright new year coming up. Well, thank you so much. And you have a great new year as well. Oh, thanks. Ha- happy and healthy. I know. Let's do it. Let's hear it for a healthy 2020. All right, Lori, thank you again. (laughs) Thank you. Take care.